inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook. Good morning. If it's morning where you are, we air on the radio live on 94.9 Radio Western on Monday mornings at 11. But we also are podcasts everywhere on the podcast services, Outlook on Radio Western. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Carrie, or whatever time of the day someone else might be listening to this. But we still yeah. air every Monday on Radio Western here in London. So trying to I still like to say good morning sometimes and if anyone is catching this on the air or if not it will be as Carrie said available afterwards on the podcast just search for Outlook on Radio Western yeah but this morning we uh we got a guest again yeah yeah guest uh Blaine Deutscher is here um and Brian we were trying to discuss sort of where we met Blaine how do you want to say hi, hi Blaine thanks for coming on Outlook thank you for having me guys yeah, so we were just kind of thinking, trying to figure out where we met. And I mean, I guess we've never actually met in person, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but I think we likely connected just through the Canadian Federation of the Blind mailing list. And so I, th I believe that would be how we met you in the first place. Yeah, no. Yeah, I've uh, definitely contributed a few thought-provoking topics and exchanged banter back and forth. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we're always happy to have more people on the list. So if anyone listening is ever interested in joining, there's lots of information posted there. So if you go to cfb.ca, you can find all the info on the website to <clears throat> subscribe to the list. Um, but before we go back a little bit into your background and talking a little bit about how you, where you grew up and everything, just kind of curious to start off where you heard about the, uh, the Canadian Federation of the Blind for the first time, or likely the National Federation of the Blind is maybe what you heard of before. Well, um, like several blind Canadians, I, uh, you know, did my youth and early childhood with CNIB and did all their camps and such and uh, out in Saskatchewan where I grew up. And uh, I honestly don't remember how I found the National Federation of the Blind, but I uh, attended a couple like conventions just the recordings that they used to do um for things and i was like wow this is i think actually no uh when i got my first guide dog um down in uh guiding eyes in yorktown heights i uh was introduced to it through people and they were saying oh we went to acb in this nfb convention and i'm like acb and nfb what what are these and uh checked it out and um i liked what i saw with the nfb and and read some of the publications and uh really saw blind people living lives that they they want and just being outgoing independent blind people and not having blindness be a uh stumbling block i guess for some yeah, because that's sort of what I've been used to seeing is while I'm blind, 
and I'm getting out, but I, I only know how to go from my bus to, to my work and, and which is great. But I saw people like traveling the airports by themselves. And I thought, wow, I want that. And, uh, I was like, well, it's only in the U S and I, I think I kind of went and Googled Canadian and blind and it happened to come up or I think I may have even, uh, uh, contacted the NFB and said, Oh, would you ever consider starting a chapter here or something? And they uh, mentioned it and I looked it up and gave them a phone call and, uh, I got a, I think I found a few other blindness organizations, um, somewhere, I think local to deaf blind and possibly Ontario. Don't remember, but I got in touch and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. And it's grown a lot in the last couple of years or so that I've been on. And now NFB convention last year was virtual and I, basically pretty much went to every single thing I did. I actually spoke with the president about just building memberships and how things changed from uh, how small they started to how big they are now because uh, NFB was actually very small at the very beginning. And I think he said that the uh, American Foundation of the Blind was sort of like CNIB is in Canada and over time they've kind of equalized with ACB, NFB and AFB. Um, so I thought that was really uh, nice to hear because I, uh, I'd like to see that here in Canada. And uh, so I, yeah, I found CFB kind of by just looking around, asking questions and I'm glad I did. It's always interesting to ask people that because for, for Carrie and I, we, we heard through a good friend of ours told us about it. So I always wonder how people find out because anyone who knows or has listened to this show, we don't, you know, we don't advertise that much. We're not, obviously, we're not calling oh. people for money or anything like that because it's not our, it's not our uh, philosophy. So it's just, it is nice to see when someone does find the CFB and it's, that's why I always like to ask how, how someone found out. And again, it just goes to show like all the, all the uh, connections that you can make, like, so many guests that we've had on this show, including Blaine here today, we wouldn't have known before the CFB. So it really does right. help network and bring blind people together, especially in Canada where we're so spread out. See, I don't know if it's like this, like there's no commercials or anything on TV, uh, but any chance I get, you know, I'm in several blindness groups and I'll mention like, depending on where they are, you know, that there is the CFB and I, I definitely do. Uh, I do put our name out there quite a bit because I want people to, to know, you know, especially when they're looking for networks of blind people that CNIB is not the only organization out there. And, you know, they are, they're great if uh, it's what people want, but if people want something different and a positive philosophy that CFB is there because the people don't know about it. So I definitely promoted any chance I get. Yeah, I just actually came from the first day of the Rick Hansen conference that they're having. And it's, I guess their theme is Accelerate Accessibility. And uh, of course, you know, the, the spokesperson they have for their panels is from CIB. And that's, 
that's great. That's fine. That's how it's always been. But I, I like how you pointed out these important things right up front here on the show today, that there are other options. There are other places you can go. And we wouldn't have necessarily met everybody here that we've met if we had, hadn't gone and found this NF, the CFB and NFB. Yeah. So, yeah. And technology's definitely helped bridge that gap too, because, you know, we're up here in Canada and we have different laws and different rules of things. But now with, especially with virtual stuff now, I feel like the bridge is, uh, is kind of closing a little bit between U.S. and Canada and, and involvement. There was, I know at our convention last year, there was a lot of Americans that came up to check out the Canadian side when we had our little open house mm-hmm. come to our suite, talk to us type thing. Um, and I met a lot of people in the presidential suite. I checked it out because being a newbie, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. So I, uh, I you know, introduced myself and uh, as a member of CFB and, uh, and, you know, people are like, Oh, that's, that's cool. And so um, every, every time I always mention it, I, because people know who NFB is. If if they've been in the blind community, they've heard about it somehow. And I would say we're like the sister organization in Canada. And so, because we believe the same philosophy. So people know about it and they're like, oh, there's a Canadian version. That's cool. So I feel like it helps. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we're always always looking to spread the word. So it's really appreciated that you do that. And, and we do the same here. So it's, it's one of those things. It's not a secret by any by any means. We don't want it to be that way, but we're also not overly. We're not going to bombard people with things. So it is sort of a, a word of mouth, or these days, not always the mouth. Sometimes texting or Facebook or mm-hmm. social networks or whatever it may be. Uh, but it is kind of that type of organization, so that generally you have to know someone who's been it, who's in it already, and then they'll tell someone else, and it spreads from there. It's kind of like the stone cutters on The Simpsons. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think that's how the NFB is too. I mean, they've got all their publications and, you know, obviously they're very well established and like, but there's no, like, I don't hear them mentioning, oh, we just dropped off 50 pamphlets from our blind parents' brochures to nursing uh, clinics. It's, you got blind parents going, hey, what do I tell my hospital? And people are going, check out the independence market. You can get a blind parents brochure that's been made up to give to your doctor. So they're not going out and distributing magazines and, and material, but it's available if you need it or want it. And I like that because, and I don't mind if, if uh, our magazine was sent out to me and I, I, I'd love to pass it around and be like, hey, read this, learn about us. Because you never know who we're gonna, who's gonna find it, and if it's on a table at a coffee shop and someone reads through it and goes, oh, "Wait, there's this organization. I don't know. Maybe they're a, a millionaire and want to donate a good chunk of money. That'd be nice." <laughs> yeah, well, we could definitely send you some more magazines if you want. I, if you want to do that, I, I do that too. I'll, if I, I take them when I'm out somewhere, and I'll just leave one behind, and soon somebody will will read it. You never know. Yeah, we always have hard copies of the Blind Canadian in, in print, and then it's also available on the on the web, cfb.ca website for anyone to read as well. So, yeah, I think if you want it, if you wanted some copies specifically sent to you, you can just email editor at cfb.ca probably, or or post yeah. on the list or whatever. 
I will definitely do that. But it sounds like that parenting pamphlet was, it sounded like you were looking for something and you found kind of what you were looking for with that. Well, it wasn't me particularly. It was just, oh, okay. I, I didn't even know actually it was out there. Um, but now mm-hmm. I know if I ever, because I have a eight-year-old son mm-hmm. and thankfully I didn't have any issues. Um, but if I have any more kids, then, you know, it's, you know, nice to know that there is something out there. I know it's, and I haven't read it, so I don't know what it, what's all in it, but I'm sure it just alleviates some of the questions that doctors have because the unknown is scary. And, uh, you know, being a first time parent for many people, let alone being blind, it's scary. And when a doctor goes, well, how are you going to know this and that? And you're going, uh, mm-hmm. Same as you, but they're wanting to know how you're going to do it. And if you can kind of have answers and say, well, this talking thermometer is being used because I actually had to do um, some court stuff with my son. And I had to, I researched because I wanted to have equal rights and, and I, I never wanted, my philosophy for me is I don't want blindness to be a reason why I don't do something. I, if I don't know how to do it, it's because I was not taught or I don't, I just didn't learn it because I don't care. But if, if I don't want to, if I want to learn how to use a chainsaw as a blind person and I have a buddy come over because we're chopping down a tree and he's going to just make sure I don't fall in my house. Study people do the same thing. So why can't I? Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, that's the I'm actually philosophy right there. Hoping to go to a structured discovery center. Um, I'm on the wait list actually to go to Colorado. I'm number oh, 18. Wow. <laughs> um, so it'll be a My while. Number. But <laughs> we've mentioned the uh, structural discovery a little bit on this show, but we haven't really talked. Neither of us have been to a, a center. So we haven't really touched too much on that on the show. And I mean, I think. Eventually, when you do go, it would definitely be great to have you on then to to talk more about it. Um, but maybe just to give listeners a, a quick overview of what of what the structural discovery centers are. There's one in Canada as well, actually. It, uh, we do have one in Canada, um, and it's it's still small and and it's growing. Basically, the the short and simple answer of structured discovery is blind people teaching blind people techniques. Um, they teach you how to use your long white cane and how to listen for, for things and ask certain questions to get the visual information or the information that you need so that you can continue on your way, uh, instead of route travel where you learn how to get to your bus stop. But what if you want to go to shoppers and, or, or Loblaws in Ontario to, grab something on your way home. Well, if you don't know how to do that, and yes, we do have technology and GPSs and stuff, but they teach you the basics and then those GPS apps and everything like that, that's a tool in your toolbox. And so um, that's sort of what I understood because everyone that teaches it is blindfolded or blind themselves. So they're teaching you techniques to do everything completely blind. And so if you have some residual vision and you lose it, you're not going, wait, 
I can't cook because I relied on my vision versus, hey, labeling my stove. Now I lost my vision. I can still use my oven. I don't need to rely on the color contrasts. Um, I've got friends who took structure discovery because down in Louisiana, they actually have a, a mobility and an orientation and mobility course through Louisiana Tech. Uh, they sometimes use their, the same skills because it's like, well, I want to have to turn on the light and wake my family up because I'm thirsty or I want to whatever. They, they use their, their um, blindness techniques that they learned because it's still dark out. So it's basically blind people teaching blind people how to do things um, from what I understood. So Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great summary. And the whole cliche, the blind leading the blind that people you know, joke about is, is actually a true thing. And there's nothing, you know, it's, it's a good thing when blind people, because who, who else better knows how to, it how makes to perfect sense to us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before even hearing about all this stuff, I might not have ever thought about that when I was a kid, you know, I, my mobility instructors were always sighted and I never would have imagined, imagined this, but now when you do see it in action, it's, it's pretty amazing. And you, you, you realize that, that, uh, it does make sense to have someone else blind doing these jobs. See, and, and I'm just curious how it's done because, you know, here you're thinking, well, safety, how do you know, like, if a sighted O&M instructor or orientation and mobility for the listeners um, is walking with their student, if the student steps out or, or gets a little too close to a car, sometimes they can, you know, they can reach out and just pull you back. So how does a blind person teach? And it'd be interesting. I, I want to go um, for their shop class. They, uh, down in Louisiana, they, they have home management and um, home maintenance, I think it is. So they actually teach you, you know, how to do some drywall and put on doorknobs and all that stuff. And the nice thing is I've done carpentry class all through high school. It was actually my favorite class. But some of the techniques and was not from a blindness perspective. So there's some saws that I would love to know how to use as a blind person. And then I'd love to be able to come back and say, well, I'm going to go over to the Pacific Training Center and I'm going to teach shop and home management. Because like I said, my philosophy is blindness isn't the reason why I don't do something. If I know how to do some basic plumbing and I buy a toilet from Home Depot, I want to be able to put it in. If I'm building a bathroom and I need the city to come out and do some stuff and I get a plumber friend to come help me with that, that's, that's cool. Um, but if everything's all set up and I know what I'm doing, I should be able to do it myself if I have the time. For right. sure. Yeah. yeah, it's the balance between asking for help for some things like everybody does or yeah. wanting to learn things to do by yourself, things that even you would have thought, how do you, how could I possibly do that? But there must be a way. So and then it also, yeah. it also comes down to some skills there for certain people. Like it's like you talk about the, the mobility instructor being blind. It's hard for me to imagine that too. And again, it is just a, it's a safety thing and it's, it's a confidence thing, I guess for me as well, but it's th being responsible for someone else's safety as well as is, is definitely a responsibility. So I don't quite understand it either, but again, it's one of these things that 
speaking with someone in the future who who is a is a blind mobility instructor would help would help explain that in a bit more detail um but it's just yeah. interesting to think about yeah. well i i just i see them too like the confidence that they have after they leave i know louisiana one of their big trips they do what do they call a drop off and literally they drop you off somewhere they don't tell you where and you have to get back to the training center by yourself you're allowed to take buses and stuff like that obviously but there's no one following you it's ask a few couple questions to get some information which i i find myself doing now just you know because sometimes here i don't know about there but the buses will stop sometimes and i don't hear the train so i'm like okay well where did you park so i was ask, hey and it's not like what bus is this um or maybe it is i don't know like i said it I've, i haven't been through it but there's just a way of asking the question instead of saying is this the number 10 yes okay you know, versus what bus is this? The driver has to look. Oh yeah, it's the here. This is the number ten. Okay, perfect. You know, this is the bus I need. Did you park on the north side of Seventh Avenue or the south side, or did you cross the tracks? Because some people don't know north from south, they so just drive. So, you know, it's like I know where I'm going, but I need to find out where you park so I know where I need to go and a simple did you cross the tracks yet because I didn't feel it but it's also really bumpy yes I'm on the I'm he I'm heading heading north and I've crossed over oh perfect now I know I have to go back and cross over 8th street to catch the westbound train yeah and I don't think like I don't think we do learn enough of that when we are taught uh, orientation and mobility in school I just think in Canada the motto well, for us growing up anyway, I don't know what it is now, but it was always more just like you said, the root, root way of doing it. Teach you one route at a time for where you need to go. But that leaves you often, unless you're someone with a lot of confidence, that leaves you still feeling like, like I have to have something pre-planned. I can't be spontaneous at all. Crazy. Well, and I, I know here, like, it, it's great when you have services come out if you move, but they make it so you've, you move somewhere and they'll come out and they'll drive around and then they'll kind of tell you versus structured discovery from one of the questions I asked a, a person that works at one of the centers. I said, how does that work? Like you, you move somewhere. Do you call your mobility instructor? And they're like, no, you, you go walk, walk around, you meet a neighbor and you just, Hey, what's around here? Uh, maybe you're buying a house and you, you ask your uh, realtor, Hey, um, is there anything nearby? You know, this there's a liquor store and there's the the there's a pub and there's a dentist and there's a massage place. And you're like, oh, this this is that's cool. I'm gonna go find it. Well, you hear kids and you stop. So is that a park over to my left? Yes, there. Oh, great! I've got kids. There's a park nearby. And you just literally go and walk. And uh, if you maybe use some GPS app to kind of tell you what streets are coming up on. Um, but uh, when they teach it, they don't use any apps like that. Um, just to kind of get that confidence and get it in 
in you. But once you've got it, yeah, you like people, I know people who travel through airports and they'll go to Toronto and go to a convention and they're like, oh, I want a steak. And they'll Google steak restaurants, ask the, the um, concierge service, you know, what, what streets just out front here? I know this is a busy road. What street is this? And uh, based off the sun, they also can tell where they're walking. Unless it's a cloudy day. That's one thing I've not figured out yet. Because um, I use that actually quite a bit with the sun is knowing where I'm going. Um, but they, they'll decide, okay, well, that steak restaurant's only like a three-block walk. I'm going to walk it. It's a nice night. My dog and I, we've been inside all day. Let's go find this steak restaurant, grab a dinner. I don't want to go with everyone else to Swiss Chalet. And they just do it. And I'm like, I want that. I want to be able to travel for hockey instead of Ubering it from uh, Toronto Pearson. I want to take the train into downtown and uh, get off at five blocks from the hotel and walk up and grab a coffee and you know and i've been there enough i know where things are now but if i didn't i still want to be able to do that i want that option of going okay well it's going to be like an 80 dollar uber ride or like i don't know ten dollars on the subway thingy the go train from the airport so i'd love to be able to do that and just go not have to wait around yeah, well, Brian lived in Toronto for a while, so you did a bit of that, I guess, with a bit of yeah. Well, I, I'm, from I was thinking specifically and... about about last year. I was out in Victoria, British Columbia, uh, visiting someone, and I we did that. We went to Vancouver. I'd never been there before. Neither had the person I was with, and we we took the ferry over and just you know figured it out as we went. Pretty much went found a hotel, you know, asked people around the area what restaurants were nearby, found a place to eat, and just you just kind of go with it instead of overthinking or you know if you have the skill and again that's the big part about it is having the skills and i realize that you know it takes it takes a lot of training and practice and and you know it's it's not everyone everyone's at a different level and that's that's totally cool it's it's about all of us working together to for people who don't have all these skills to work with them and to to bring up their confidence and help them to to uh, gain these same skills that someone else might have and that changes to different areas like you talked you talked about in in high school, working with tools and stuff like that, I never really have done any of that. So, you know, someone like you could potentially show someone else once once you've had you have training with that kind of stuff to someone else blind some techniques that you use, and that's that's what the CFB is all about is sharing tips and techniques and mentoring and all this kind of stuff that we all do yeah. to to be able to make life easier and more independent. Yeah, and and you know, even a few members have said like. Because I go, wow, convention, when it gets back to normal, you know, 3,000 blind people in a hotel, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm so used to, okay, we got some people to help guide you. And they, they do have sighted people around because people marry sighted people and their wives and husbands offer to maybe just, if you need some visual information, they're there. But um, there's people who just, get out of their hotel room and they go find the convention hall. And I'm like, Ooh, how, like how? And I guess like, I, I thought I was a good cane traveler. I, obviously I was good enough to get a dog 
twice. But when you look at some of the blind people and the fact that they're walking into the airport, they're asking where security is to get through to go to their gate because they have just carry on luggage. They're not going to wait in line. Yeah, um, I try to avoid checking luggage normally. It saves a lot of time. Uh, it does. Um, but if you have a guide dog, unfortunately, you have to now wait in line because mm. when you t- call the disability desk in 48 hours before you fly, they lo- you lose the ability to check in online and you right. have to go stand in line to check in. And I'm going, it's just me. I'm going for like a weekend. Like I have a duffel bag with dogs food and, you know, can I just go? But, uh, yeah, no, I'd love to be able to just go into the airport. You know, if it's Ira that kind of gives me some visual information, reads a sign to point me in the right direction, uh, stopping somebody. Like, I hear stories all the time of people, you know, on their phones and all of a sudden people are like, can I help you? And you're like, I'm on the call with a business partner. Uh, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> and they're walking through to their gate. And they're grabbing coffee. And I'm going, man, we're taught here to go and ask for that assistance. And the Yeah, you're sitting there watching people going by and you're, you're just waiting yeah. for that help and thinking, if I could just do this on my own, then I wouldn't be you know, wasting this time that everyone else is just speeding along and going about their business. But for anyone who's just tuned in, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Weston. We are speaking with Blaine Deutscher from Alberta, and we're going to take a quick break for some promos, and we will be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western, and we are speaking with Blaine Deutscher, calling in from Calgary, Alberta, although that's not originally where you were born. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about where you grew up, what your childhood was like, a little bit about your blindness, whether you were born blind or went blind uh, a bit later in life. Yeah, so uh, I actually was born in Winnipeg. I uh, have written up the prematurity. So I was born four or five months early, um, end of November. And I spent till about April in an incubator. And then uh, as soon as I was out of there, I my family up and moved back to Saskatchewan, um, where my grandparents were living and whatnot and uh i went uh moved around a little bit um went to a regular school which had a program for visually impaired children and they uh taught braille and uh before jaws i don't remember what was before jaws which is a screening program for those who don't know um i uh I learned that when my classmates, they were doing computers and, and reports and stuff. Um, and if, if there was some art project that just wasn't going to really suit my um, learning, I might have done it in 3D with clay or whatever. Um, but they wanted to teach where basically by high school, you were solely independent uh, except for maybe physical education and a shop class, you might have an assistant come over from school to assist. Um, I learned a lot. Um, we did mobility a couple times a week by grade 
seven, it was learning how to take the bus, doing high school tours. Uh, we did cooking from grade one to eight. And it was cool because you actually got to bring a sighted uh, classmate with you. So you built friendships that way too. Um, and I, I did pretty much normal things. I uh, did track and I played sports and uh, everything like that, intramural football and all that fun stuff. Um, my favorite was being the kicker. I uh, quite enjoy that. Um, and then I went to uh, a Catholic high school and it was very, very different. At the beginning, I had an assistant um, and I thought it was going to be short term, but it turned out the entire three years that I was there, I had an assistant in every single class and I rebelled. I hated it because I, uh, I didn't get to be me. Um, some of them were good. They let you kind of, you know, if the teacher was having issues with you, he's the student, you talk to him. Others, I'll talk to him. We'll work it out. Um, if I was struggling with the concept, they would just kind of give me the answer and pass me along. And I just, I, I had a great memories of high school and all the fun, but I don't feel like it really, like, in some ways, I kind of wish I went to a public school. I actually did move out to Calgary in my grade 12 year, and I did go to a public school, and that was probably the best because I had um, Braille assistants who essentially just put stuff into Braille, uh, saved it onto SD cards from my teachers to pack mates and Braille displays and all the things that we used back then. And I was in my class. It was me, and no one else was there to you know, hey, Blaine, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> so I uh, I got to kind of grow my wings a little bit. Um, but in high school, I did wrestling and shop. And, um, you know, I because I knew how to take the bus. Uh, when Where I lived, they actually had a bus service for everybody uh, from the east end of the city to where I went to school. But as soon as the snow kind of melted, I, I was on that city bus. And um, I wanted to, you know, go to the library like my friends and whatnot. And uh, now that's kind of interesting. Why that? Why that changed in in high school? Was that just the fact that it was a different the Catholic school at that point, a different school that you had someone with yes. you more so? Because yes. it's interesting how through up to grade seven or eight or whatever, where you said you were slowly being, you know, you were being t- trained to be more and more independent, and then high school hits, which is, you know, this, that's the years when you really do want to just fit in and. And you're a teenager mm-hmm. and it's a different it's that stage of life. And then the fact that then you had someone close by more so in, in every class, it just seems like a bit of a that would be a quite the quite the shock and maybe not the most comfortable at times. Yeah, no, it it was definitely more because of the Catholic school board versus the public school board. Right. They still worked hand in hand in, you know, Saskatchewan. But uh it, it, it it's different too in, in each province. In Calgary, they have the Board of Education has a resource room and they essentially come out to you and they'll do like technology classes. But then there'll be field trip days where you'd go down to their office and you'd learn Kurzweil and open book and hang out with other blind people. Um, but uh, I, uh, I was actually in grade 12 when I came out here. I was not the only blind person. Um, I've been out in Calgary twice through my high, through my school years, 
grade four. And uh, when I was in grade 12, one of the kids that I knew from my grade four years was also in school, happened to go to the same school that I did. So it's really cool to meet up with him and chat and stuff. But I, uh, I was in my classes all by myself um, in the public system, but the Catholic system, it was here's your assistant all the time and goes to every mm -hmm. class and you're just like, can I, can I breathe, please? Let me be. Wow. Yeah, that's a different um, way of doing it for sure. <laughs> different than what we kind of grew up with. Um, so how many blind people had you sort of been around then, like growing up and in through becoming a, through your childhood into adulthood? Were you around a lot of blind people then? Because Brian and I always had each other, but we know not everybody has that. I... Um... Besides the program for visually impaired children in school, um, in my teen years, I had uh, camps that I would go to, and uh, I met blind people from all across Saskatchewan that way. Um, I did the SCORE camp uh, and met more blind people that way, and then through people, you just kind of, it grows. But uh, Besides school, I didn't, I didn't know any blind people. I didn't uh, hang out with them on weekends or anything like that. Um, I was the only blind person. And we don't always know a lot of blind people who, well, you, sometimes the, the, the stereotype is that blind people can't really be athletic, can't do many sports. So you mentioned multiple sports on the show. Um, what were your favorites and what kind of challenge did you have with that? Or did you always sort of just make it work? Um, so in high school I did wrestling, um, and, uh, I'd known other blind wrestlers. So figured out this system that blind people use when they do wrestling. Um, and, uh, other than that, like intramural sports, there was just always someone that kind of tagged along to if the ball was coming. They kind of catch it and hand it off. Then I would dribble it up and go shoot or whatever um but wrestling was where i really got to show my true potential um and then later on in life after school i found hockey so now i do that and golf and all that stuff and i did that because i was introduced to blind sports camp uh through the saskatchewan blind sports association so i picked, i did summer camps there and i learned golf and goalball and judo and swimming and all that and my family was avid golfers so golfing kind of just came mm. naturally to me oh. and uh i also when i was a teenager um the teacher of the visually impaired children um uh, her husband was blind and i lived with my grandparents and uh he called one day and he kind of asked my grandma, you know, would you mind if I became Blaine's like big brother mentor? And she's like, yeah. And I was so excited because he golfed in the United States Blind Golf Association before they uh, made it where Canadians couldn't join. He was grandfathered in and was, he did different tournaments and, and uh, sent stuff back to us all the time to the school. and. Uh, when my grandma was like, yeah, he wants to be your mentor. I was excited because I looked up to this guy. He was a systems analyst. Uh, he was an 
he did accounting and lost his vision during university and just switched his career to be a systems analyst and did that until he passed away in 2004. But he kind of uh, took me under his wing when I was about 12 and uh, taught me a lot how to mow grass, simple things like that. Um, and it was just really cool to have someone like that when I was kind of a teenager and could used it. So it was nice to have him and he kind of helped build who I am today. Yeah. And it's important. It really is important to have people like that in our lives. I think. Yeah. Everyone, if ever, anyone can find but a mentor, not everybody gets that. Yeah. It's not always the easiest to find, but if you do, it's, it's definitely seems like a great opportunity and opening door opening to greater mm-hmm. things. And, and I really do find the sports stuff inter- interesting because like Carrie had mentioned before, we haven't really had, Carrie and I aren't really the biggest sporty people. I always veered towards music instead of sports pretty much. So I find it really interesting to hear, hear about hockey and golf and these types of things that I just don't know enough about blind people playing them. And I think that's, that's really great that you, uh, that you do. And before we move on to a couple other things, I don't know if there's any other tips or anything anything specific that any accommodations or anything that you do in 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 either golf or hockey or wrestling that you'd like to point out to our listeners i'm just kind of curious for accessibility and stuff what you would do to to make the experience most accessible so golf basically you just literally have someone that's sighted line you up um tells you kind of the layout of the hole you're playing um how far you've you know you got to hit helps you make your club selection. They always say the golf coach or caddy or guide in golf in blind golf, they call them coaches. Um, I always tell people you're not a professional coach, but you are kind of coaching in some ways. They're about 60, 40. So 60% of their, of the game is them either looking at things and reading the greens and all that stuff. Um, and then helping you line up well so that, if you hit the ball right and they read it right, the ball should go into the hole. Um, if you're on the fairway of, you know, if you, if you mess up, that's not, that's not them. That's you. But they, with what they know and, and you knowing your own swing speed and everything, you should be able to pick your club, but they'll also give you suggestions too. Uh, and you'll discuss it together, just like professional golf with their caddies. Um, and that's basically it. The, uh, you can ground your club in the sand. Um, but other than that, that's, that's the rules are still the same as regular golf. Um, my extent is mini golf. So yeah. 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 Basically they would just tell you, okay, you know, if you're doing mini golf, they'd be like, all right, well, you've got a, uh, barn that you're going to go, your ball's going to go through. Um, and they'd line you up and you just got to make your putt and hope it goes in just like sighted golfers. Um, right. And I always kind of looked at golf as like any sport would be challenging, but I always kind of felt like for, for people who are blind, it might be a little bit easier than some sports because like you say, a lot of it just is in the technique of the swing. And if you have, if you have the proper someone, yeah, I can imagine golf, it's hockey that's harder because it's so fast paced. Right. Hockey is hard to imagine. Hockey, um, was actually well it's been around for years um but it's really kind of been brought into an actual tournament style play uh with 
like an actual organization, everything like that in the last, I'd say 10 years, I think. Um, but the way it's done is the puck is three times the size of a, uh, regular puck. Uh, it's got ball bearings in it. And actually I might be able to ball bearings find my puck. Sorry guys. <laughs> Show you what this puck sounds like. Yeah, I was curious about the sound. So yeah, so if I was like playing, moving, oh, actually slides really well across my floor. (laughs) But if I was like playing with it on the, like on the ice. Oops. Sounds then, almost like sounds almost like broken glass. Kind of. Yeah, clatter. Yeah, this might be. If I was in net, you might hear this. And right. uh, you just stop it with your body. Oh. I bet that really rings out. Yeah, in the in the echoey arena, probably hear that pretty loud. Yeah. They wear yellow jerseys instead of white. It's yellow and black jerseys. So the site, the B3s, and which are usually 20 over 200, uh, they can see you. Um, B2s are your defense and your goalies are totals. Our nets are three feet high, um, just more for the ref. So if the puck does go in, there's no like, oh, that was like head shots and in. It's, yeah, okay, it was over a, a pad and in. Uh, we still wear all the same gear. Um, like I said, it's got ball bearings in it. Um, there's a few rules. If the puck freezes in the crease, which is the painted part just for the net, it's a dead puck because it doesn't make noise. Um, if uh, that no one's allowed to go in the crease in front of the goalie. And other than that, oh, and you have to make a complete pass. There's a special whistle that they use. And uh, that tells the goalies that, hey, pass is good. There are some times where the referees are a little short on the whistle. But uh, other than that, it's, it's the same as regular hockey. Sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds pretty I cool. En- I enjoy it because my family, like my cousins played hockey. And right. I was like, oh, I wish this was around. And now, like Branford, there's a huge youth hockey here with Branford. We got kids as early as four years old skating out there. We have a youth division. We have a adult like uh, select kind of team, really good guys. We also have a low vision development division. So people who are maybe older, not as strong skaters, um, totals, a lot of totals that want to just play hockey, but they don't necessarily want to play goalie, but playing with a B3, they're just going to, step around you and keep on going so they made a low vision development uh league so that people who are slower can still play and have fun with it um and then they've got team canada which there's also team usa now um and they've got a lot of involvement with various nhl teams the chicago blackhawks pittsburgh penguins they've actually literally given them all equipment everything so that the chicago blind 
hockey, I think it's called, in the Pittsburgh blind hockey. Um, and there's Connecticut and various states that have, uh, have hockey, and they're hoping to get into the Paralympics. Wow, cool. Right on. Yeah, it's a whole thing. You don't even know what's going on. Yeah. So for anyone who has just tuned in, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western or in podcast form. We're speaking with Blaine Deutscher. We have just under 10 minutes left. And I know these episodes always fly. Carrie, I know there's a couple more topics in particular we wanted to get to. I think uh, uh, fatherhood as a, as a blind parent, as well as canes versus well, your guide, guide dogs. Your, your guide dogs, it sounds like they played a part in your life too, but... Have you had more than two or is two? Are you on one? Yeah, now? I'm, I'm working on dog number three, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've had dogs since I was uh, 19. I actually graduated high school and two weeks later I was at guide dog school. Um, and that just, I, for me, opened so many doors just for ice breaking and, and uh, whatnot, traveling around, not having to worry about all the little benches and poles. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. Right. And you said, you talked about how parent, how scary parenthood can be the first time for everybody. Uh, what, but what tips would you have as a blind parent for other parents who are blind and maybe wanting to tr- try being parent or about to be one? Like anything that you found that makes things easier or um, is it pretty normal? Like everyone else just, yeah, it's uh, like, it's, it's normal join. Like there's a lot of Facebook groups that I'd highly recommend. Uh, the, the blind parents connect group that I'm on uh, is got a lot of, they've actually made files for different things that kind of creep up a lot, changing and feeding mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, transportation, but ask, just ask questions. Um, you know, if you are connected with a blind uh, person or a blind group, um, there's the NFB has a blind parents division, which I've gone to and just met other great blind moms and dads. And, and uh, sometimes it's just thinking outside the box, um, finding assistive technology and, and with things like Ira now, it makes it a lot easier, but uh, just ask what what kind of stuff do people use, and maybe there's a bottle that a lot of parents find more tactile than others, um, a stroller, whatever. Just ask questions. Go to the store, test drive the stroller. Find out. A lot of blind parents pull it, so if you find one that you can pull easily, um, that's that's great. But uh, just ask other people. There's so many resources out there of blind people who have been and done it and uh they're their source of information yeah they're all out there yeah and that's exactly why we make these kind of connections with everybody and that's the that's the point of cfb and and just as a blind person to be curious here in canada it's obviously like you said different than the u.s but we can always um reach out to each other things cross border wise and but um, yeah, the, things like the list for the Canadian Federation of the Blind is how we started hearing from you and you, you contribute a lot of great thoughts and ideas there. So it's good that we met that way. I don't know what you think, Bri, but... Yeah, absolutely. It's the big, biggest part for me with the, with the CFB still really is the, the mentoring and networking and, and being able to share tips and tricks for, that for, for everyday life. So I just 
I think it's so much so great that we've been meeting all these people and especially to meet Blaine and have him on the show today. Let's talk about so what you've seen in Canada so far and where you see that we still have to go and get to. A lot of people feel like we're just very small and our voices are small because we're not I mean, you can't all agree on everything, but what would you say um, is is the situation now and where would you like to see it kind of go? Ooh, that's tough. Um, yeah, it's a, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of elements there. But. I mean, I, I definitely would like to see us equal. Um, you know, if we are one organization, uh, you know, I'd like us to all kind of sit down at the table and uh, be able to not just be at the table, but eventually be able to have people come to us at the table. And uh, yeah. I know the, I was just listening to some podcasts of uh, the presidential release from the NFB. And they mentioned how they used to not even be at the table. They might be in the room, but they weren't at the table. Then they got to the table and now people are coming to them at their table. So I'd love to be able to go to a convention of whatever blindness related or an issue that say the federal government has proposed. And if it's us and CNIB and any other blindness organization, we're all here. And yeah, we may all have the same issues and the same concerns but I feel like if three organizations are bringing it to the table, it's going to be heard more than if one one organization does it as a large. Because if we go and have one organization speak, then the government's going to go, well, they'll, they'll just talk amongst themselves and come back to us. Instead, if we all kind of keep bringing it up, it, things get done faster, I feel. Yeah, it seems so, like a lot of people are, there's some apathy and they don't know what to do and they just leave it for someone else, kind of. Well, in Canada, we're very nice, mm-hmm. but we're also very passive aggressive if there's ever any, like, human rights issues. It's it's very different in the States. If, if you have an ADA case and you win, I'll use guide dogs, for example, if you were refused an apartment and the landlord didn't want to give it to you and you went to court and he lost, he, you move in, you get the keys, and hey, you know, so sorry that happened. If you need anything, and in Canada, it's like, oh well, I guess I have to let you in. The the passive aggressive side, and yeah, they'll fix your fridge if uh, you know in a couple of days, and and they kind of force you to move out because you're going, huh, I'm not getting the you know same. It's getting done, but it's slow. Right. There's a lot of and unsaid. It, thoughts and things going on in people's yeah. minds here where we're not speaking up as much as may- maybe let's say the, the u.s where they're a little bit more vocal about their, these issues and they're just talked about a little bit more so well and even if we do win a case uh for for work or whatever we kind of go well do we want to work with that person because they really didn't want us there yeah versus the states they literally will fight for a job they'll win and they'll work for them and i'm like oh that is so another, different than you. Another way to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not a simple answer. But Canada and U.S. are obviously different. We can tell in a lot of ways between the two sister organizations, like you said. And we all grew up with the CNIB, so we all kind of know. 
Yeah, that just look with just just a couple minutes left on the show. I don't know if we can sum this up in a couple minutes, but no. I I know you you'd briefly you had uh, worked for the CNIB for for a, a period, and just maybe quick curious if what you've noticed the differences between the CNIB and then let's say an organization like the like the CFB. Well, I guess the biggest one is how CFB the the board is blind people. They put. They kind of put blindness first. They don't. Uh, they look at your skills as a person over CNIB. Their head person is a sighted person. A lot of their board is sighted people with the odd blind person kind of thrown in to say they do it, but they don't. They're they're uh, a lot of their main staff, their big executives are all sighted people. There's no blind people. They're kind of doing the advocacy side, maybe or technology but even that is sighted people so it's uh they're not truly they say they're the voice of the blind but i don't i question it when i see cfb and nfb and how cnib is running now from what it used to be it's changed mm-hmm. a lot so yeah right. yeah and we can do all new sh- whole shows on the that <laughs> yeah we plan on tackling that a bit more later on this year and we'd love to have you back on again sometime when we do discuss these things sure in definitely detail and... well thanks a lot blaine yeah thanks so You're much welcome. for coming on the show yeah it was fun take, take care out there in alberta <laughs> yes find us on twitter at outlook cfb and on facebook facebook.com slash outlook on radio western